Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this time and the opportunity to come before you, God. And I just pray, Lord, that our heart will be right and, be- and pure before you, O oh Lord. I pray, God, for humility. I pray, God, that we will not be distracted with all the worries and anxieties that come in this life. Father, but Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will look to you and know that, God, we have victory in Christ. That, God, that we cannot overcome in our own strength, but we are too weak. Father, we need a Savior to come to our rescue, and you have already done it. God, you have died on the cross, and you have risen from the dead, and you have overcame death, and death itself. So, God, I pray, Father, we would, we would approach your throne with confidence and with courage that comes in your name, O oh Lord. I pray right now, God, as you transition to your message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. And I pray, Lord, that you just open up our ears, open up our hearts to hear and to receive the message that you have here for us today. Father, we thank you. We honor you. We give all glory to you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. All right. God bless you guys. Let's all sit. And let's take a moment right now to greet our neighbor. Uh, front and back, give a big smile, and say, how was your week? My week was good. Ronnie's, what are you going to say? My week was amazing. Just take a look at my face and my glasses. <laughs> okay. All right, so today, the title is called, Where There Is No Way, Make a Way. Turn to your, your neighbor and say, where there is no way, make a way always back to God. Let's start with our main scripture, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, and it begins with this. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some man came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. The original, this is like literally the original Mission Impossible, like lowering someone down the roof and we see that he was, his paralysis was severe, right? It was, he was paralyzed on all four limbs. So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, meaning the devil is the prince of this world, but has no hold on Jesus. Jesus has the authority to take his life. He makes that decision on his own. That is why whenever, when we are attacked in life, we say, in Jesus' name, we take authority in Jesus' name. Even though we live in a broken world, we live in a world where the the devil is the prince of this world, we take victory in the name of Jesus, meaning Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, 
and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, "We have never seen anything like this." Mark chapter two, verse one through twelve. So houses during this time would have a staircase leading up to the roof, because during the hot days they would go up on the roof to cool themselves off. So roof most likely was made out of clay. Holding by wooden beams, so it was pretty easy. It's not like the roof that we see, the cement, and it's impossible. But it was pretty easy for them to dig a hole and for them to bring a friend down. It was not an impossible task, but it was a difficult task. It took a will to help a friend. So four people, four friends, are helping this one individual who is paralyzed on all four limbs. We have three points for you. Number one is this. Number one is surround yourself with the right circle of friends. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Surround yourself, with the, right of with the right circle of friends." Even if it just means one, a friend who will fight for you, it goes a long way. A friend who will pray for you. Take a look at verse two, two and four. It says, "They gather in such large numbers that there is no room left." Not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, four friends. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat. The man was lying on his paralysis was so severe he was paralyzed on all four limbs that his friends took action. Meaning, there's a lot of action happening in verse two and four. Some very bold and aggressive action moves by these four group of friends. Mark's version tells us that there were four friends total, and we understand that these friends they loved this friend, and that he that that their desire was to see the healing to happen in the life of their friend. So, friend, what is the definition of friend? Friend in Urban Dictionary says this: a friend is someone who won't lie to you. They respect you for you are, and make every moment with you you count. They make it count. Your friends they should understand you and trust you. They help you with your problems and are always there when you are feeling down. I feel like a middle school person wrote this. A friend cannot be replaced, so don't even try. A friend is someone you love and who loves you, someone you respect, who respects you, someone whom you trust and who trusts you. A friend is honest, makes you want to be honest too. A friend is loyal. Definitely a middle school student. A friend is someone who is happy to spend. Time with you, doing absolutely nothing at all. Someone who doesn't mind driving you to stupid errands. Who will get up at midnight just because you want to go on an adventure. Or word "friend" comes from an old English name "freon," which is actually the present particle of "friogan," which means to love and to honor. And that quote: "If you are absent in my struggle, don't expect to be present in my success." So we understand a friend is someone who is there. Through thick and thin, it's a reminder who is truly, really there for us when we are at our worst state of our life. And the question that I want to ask you: Do you have a friend like this in your circle of friends? Do you have a friend that you can count on? Do you have a godly friend like this when you come to church right now? Can you truly count on your fellow neighbor, the person who is sitting right next to you? Look at each other, Andrew, Ronnie. Can you really count on each other, Ronnie? I don't know what's wrong with your face, Ronnie. No one can look at you. I know. I understand. I couldn't look at him. I can't look at him. I gotta look at like his neck. <laughs> 
Do you have godly friends like this? If you can't, if you don't, then we are doing something wrong as a church. If we are not able to count on our neighbors, the person who is sitting next to us, then we are doing something wrong as a church. This is not a church. I also say friends, singular, because there's a quote that says, making a hundred friends is not a miracle. The miracle is to make a single friend who will stand by your side even when hundreds are against you. Even when hundreds are against you, they're willing to stand right there with you, meaning better to have one precious friend than hundred cheap friends, cheap ones. How precious it is for you to have one loyal friend. This is so relevant in this day and age, especially with everything that we're doing, uh, the time that, that, that we're living in with social media. There's so many fakeness and things that we don't know what is real or what is fake. You know, people use you for, the, for their own success, for their own benefit. It's hard to know and to really understand who is my true friend or not. A lot of fakeness with social media and everything that's happening in this day and age. So right now, if you have one godly friend like this, you're truly blessed and you're more blessed than you will ever know. So in this story, we understand Number one, we need to surround ourselves with the right circle of friends. They may love you right now, but what happens when you have nothing to offer back to them? Will they really, just like here in verse 2 and 4, are they willing to go to the great the length of, of bringing you to a roof, blowing you down? It's crazy. The, the bold move that they would do, even though the situation is impossible, normal person would be like, right, hey, come on. It's, it's crowded. Come on. The line is too long. Let's not, let's not do this. It's okay. Just you, you sucked it up for 17 years. Do it for, for another 17. It's okay. It'll be all right. But no. They heard about this man, Jesus Christ, who would perform miracles. And they went and they did an impossible task. They took him to the roof, brought him down. Most likely we understand that this is Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law's house. And we understand that this is a, a temporary house that Jesus was residing in. We understand that that's when they came, and they came, they heard the news, they brought their friend. Number one, again, surround yourself the right circle of friends. Number two, when the odds are against you, when the odds are against you, when the odds are stacked against you, push through. Turn to your neighbor and say, push through. These friends are relentless. Okay, let's take a look at verse 3 to verse 4. So a man came, so a man came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening on the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So we understand that whenever we turn back to God, whenever we run to God, that it requires action. Yes, faith at the end of the day. Guys, listen to me. Faith at the end of the day. Faith is not enough. At the end of the day, faith requires action. Faith without action is dead. That's why in James chapter 2, in James chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, it says that you see that a person is considered righteous. Righteous meaning right with God. You are justified with God. 
You're justified by what they do and not by faith alone. Verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did? It was an action that she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, faith without action is dead. This is talking about Rahab, the story of Joshua and the spies when they come and she took action to take care of these men. Therefore, through her action, her faith was justified. Therefore, we must put our faith into action. We have to. If there's no action behind our faith, then it is dead. We understand it is all nothing. It's just puff and smokes, just lights, looking good, and that's it. But God desires more. He desires substance from you. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Let's focus on 8 and 9 first. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. A lot of people, I see them quoting Ephesians 8 and 9. It's cool, right? It's good. It's by faith alone, not by works. Oh, yeah, it's okay. No action. It's cool. It's fine. But they forget the next verse. And this is the key, the key verse. Verse 10. For we are what? Let's read it together. Ready? One, two, three. So it says, when it says God's handiwork, it means work mission. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to what? To be? To do, right? To do. It's an action. So the idea of love without action is death. We cannot love and have no action. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, if you give your life to the poor, if you give your life to anything and you do anything, but there's no action behind the love that you have for your neighbor, then it is considered that. It says that you are a resounding gong. You're just a noise. You're just making noise. And that's it. You have no substance. And we're reminded in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. It was action. It was love and action. We see the three individuals who came. It was about a person who got mugged. He was on the street. He needed help. Who was the first person that came? Jesus gives a parable. He gives a story. Who was the first individual? Do you guys remember? Starts with P. Yes, the priest. The priest came. He's like, oh, no, no. Walks away. Who's the second individual? L. E. Yeah, Levi. Wow. What are you doing? Cheating? Okay, Levi. Yeah, who's a Levi? Levi is also a priest, but not everyone can be a Levi. Not all priests can be a Levi, meaning it's a high priest. In the Old Testament, the Levite, the high priest, the, the descendant of Aaron, they were the ones who went into the holy place, meaning once a year, the Day of Atonement, they went in to make sacrifice, make the blood, right? To atone for the sins of, of all the Israelites, of the sinful individuals. So we understand that even a Levite, who is a high priest, he walked away. What was the third individual? The Samaritan. Who is a Samaritan? Samaritan is half. It's not a. It's it's kind of like to put it in. If you you vampire lovers, it's like a, it's not a full breed, right? They were not born a full vampire. They were bitten, so it's half. So he's half Jewish, half Assyrian. So they were not liked by the Jewish people. They were not in good company. 
They were not in good standing with each other. But a Samaritan saw this individual that was in need, and he put his love in action and helped this individual. That's why in verse 11 it says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus saw the need, and he put his love into action. Let's go to number three. And this is the last point. And all of life comes down to this one thing. It's to salvation. It's salvation in Christ. So turn to your neighbor and say, all of life comes down to salvation in Christ. Let's take a look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So take a look how the first thing that Jesus does, obviously Jesus knows why they're there. Why are they there, guys? To see their friend become what? Healed. They didn't want anything to do with sin. But what does Jesus do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's the first thing that Jesus does with the faith of these men. Jesus forgives. It's like, wait, what? Jesus, they're here for the healing. But you're here and you say that you're forgiven. But we understand that that's how God works. That Jesus, he he forgives first in verse 5. And then later in verse 11, he heals him. He gives him a blessing of twofold. Let's take a look at verse 11. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Which comes first? The sin that becomes forgiven first, and then later he picks up his mat, and then he goes home. Meaning at the end of the day, it comes down to salvation in Jesus Christ, and that's it. Nothing more and nothing less. Yes, in this life, You know, I say this because we see a lot of miracles. We see a lot of ministries. We see the ministries around us who are focusing a lot on miracles, right? Healing, supernatural things. Yes, you may be healed. If you're sick today, Josh, yes, it's good to be healed from your sickness. Yes, amen, praise God. If we have cancer, to be be healed from cancer, how amazing is that? But the reality is how long will that last? Even if I'm healed, how long will that physical healing last? So at the end of the day, what is the point of a physical healing? When the soul is dead. When the life after is doomed to hell. Therefore, we should not always pursue the miracle and miracle and miracle. For the people who witnessed the miracle, they were never there when Jesus died on the cross. They were not there for him. They were not, they were not there when Jesus died, when he needed his friends the most. It says he was alone on the cross and he died alone. To the point even God turned his face. He could not see him. So Jesus, he understands what friendship means, what loyalty means. And we understand that what is the point of a physical healing when my soul is dead, when the life after, the eternal life is doomed in hell. Matthew, tw- Matthew 16, verse 26, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? But in this passage, we see this paralyzed man He is blessed twofold. Number one, his physical ailment is healed. And number two, he receives the greatest gift. The greatest gift. More important than him being healed. Yes, him being healed, yes, that's important. But that's a temporary thing. Because one day his life will end. One day your life will end. All of us, one day it will end. 
put that in perspective. This life will end. But to receive the forgiveness from Jesus, to have the salvation of our soul, that is the most precious gift. And that's the lesson that we can learn here. That where there is no way, make a way back to God. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. So let's take a look at how God forgives us of our sins. And, and let's put things in perspective. Let's have an understanding of how God sees you, brother Enrico, when he sees you, when you repent of your sins, how God forgives you of your sins. In John MacArthur commentary, it says there are five things. Number one, on the screen, it says east is from the west. Meaning, let me give you the fourth thing, but you could just write east is from the west. But it says God removes it as far as the east is from the west. What does that mean? The reference there is Psalm 103. In verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, this is God. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. That God has taken away your sins. As far as the east is from the west, he has taken your transgressions from you. As far as the east is from the west. That is the truth. That is the word of God. Number two, God puts your sins Behind his back. Behind his back. Isaiah 38, 17, it says, Surely it was for my benefit that I have suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. What? What does it say? You have what? Put all my sins behind your back. Let's keep going. Number three. God, it says, God cast your sins into the depths of the sea. What do you usually do? What do you usually throw away into the water? You know the scene with Iron Man? He throws the... What was he trying to do? Like throw it so that he could find it again? Like what was he trying to do? Why do we dump bodies in water? Why? To get rid of it, right? To get rid of it. It says, God cast your sins not into the shallow rivers of the pond or the water that you see outside, but it says he cast your sins into the depths of the sea. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, it says, You again had compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. What, what does it say again? You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Number four, God chooses to remember no more. He chooses not to remember. Remember no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is like the man in black with a... Doesn't mean God's going to forget, but he chooses to not remember, to not hold it against you. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. What does it mean when it says for my own sake? Meaning he is the same yesterday, today, forever. God is consistent. He will never change in character. He is not a fickle God where he is like you and me. You and I where we are drawn to emotions. We are good one day. We are good one week. And then the next week we're not good. And then we are up and down all the time. But God is consistent. He is not like shifting shadows, it says. 
that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same God that was with Joseph is the same God that is here with us today. It says, for my own sake. That's what it means. For my own sake. For my own name's sake. I remember your sins no more. Therefore, we could have trust and promise in that promise, in that trust, in that promise of God. And last one, number five. All is what? Let's repeat it together. Ready? One, two, three. Pay in full. I'm pretty sure 50 Cent had a movie called Pay in Full or something in full, right? And we see that in H Mart, do you guys ever buy like those fruit baskets or the rice bags? You Asians, when you buy the rice bags, what do they give you? They give you the sticker that says Pay. Without that sticker, they're going to be like, wait a minute. They're going to stop you. They're going to catch you. But you need that sticker. It's paid in full. Uh, and we understand that God, he has paid everything in full. And what we could not pay. You cannot pay your debt, guys. We cannot. We cannot pay the debt of our sins. It's too big. It's too strong. It goes down in generations after generations. Not just our own family, our kin family, or any family, or any name family that we have. But it goes back, all the way back to Adam. From the beginning. Our debt is way too big. But it says, and I, let me give the scripture as reference. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 14. It says, when you're dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. All our sins. Not some, all. Having concealed the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How did God, how did Jesus Christ take away the debt that we had? Went on the cross. The cross paid for all your sins. I'm speaking to you guys for those who are struggling with shame and guilt. Do you know that shame and guilt is not from God? That's from you and that's from the devil. One of the things that I had to, I had to, I'm still struggling with now as a young man. When I, the thing that I struggled the most was I knew that God forgave me, but yet I knew it, but I didn't really believe it. But the hardest part was forgiving myself. That guilt and that shame. There are times where I wake up and I'd be like, I can't believe that I did this and did that. God, I am so sorry. And I put that guilt and I walked around with shame and guilt all the time. And I try to overcome that with work, try to make myself worth before God, to be worthy before God. But at the end of the day, it left me more empty and dry. Just understand that he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That life comes down to the forgiveness of your sins. It's finding salvation in your life. It's finding salvation of our life, our lives in Jesus Christ. Even if we're healed in this lifetime, what's next? We're going to get another disease. Something else will happen. We can't be good forever. I rarely get sick. Like, I think like every five years or so, I get a cold. Josh is like every other week. <laughs> and then he gets everyone sick. I think the last one, the, the real serious one I had was, I think I got it from Josh. But anyways, but even then, even if we're healed from our cold today, what is next? It's another thing. As long as we live in this body, we're always going to be sick. But the forgiveness of sin, 
That's something that cannot be taken away. That is a precious gift from God. Meaning at the end of the day, one day this flesh will end, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the salvation of your soul. It's the forgiveness of your sins. Has your debt been paid? That is the most important thing. There is always forgiveness in Jesus, and that is always true. Whenever you repent, that is a promise that is given by God. The five points I gave, that is a promise that is given by God, that Jesus has the power to wash away your sins and to save your life. At the end of the day, what this man needed, yes, he was paralyzed on all four limbs, but at the end of the day, what he needed the most was the salvation of his soul. And no one else can give you that other than Jesus Christ. No one else can forgive you other than Jesus Christ. Jesus can and he will, and as simple as that. At the end of the day, it comes down to salvation. At the end of the day, it comes down to being forgiven. At the end of the day, it comes down to being loved and loving the Father, knowing and knowing the Father, being known by him. It comes down to having a relationship with the Father, knowing him and being known by God. That is the most important thing. Do not take that for granted. If you're in a position right now and you have a relationship with God, that is the most precious gift that you will ever have. More precious than your Rolex, more precious than the, the cars that you have, the savings that you have, the properties that you own. More than anything else, that is the most precious treasure. Do not treat that as a cheap grace, but treat it as costly grace, as Bonhoeffer reminds us. So the question is, how do you become saved? Simple. Let's take a look at these four friends. Repentance, humility, and belief. The Bible says we have to have repentance, we have to have humility, we have to have belief in our Savior. Just remember that a proud person will never be saved. I'll say that again. A proud individual cannot be saved. It's impossible. Because a proud person will say, I can save myself. A proud person will never go on their knees. They will never humble themselves before God. That's why in James 4, 6, it says, but God gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He shows grace to the humble. Psalm 139, verse 6, it says, though the Lord is on high, he attends to the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Meaning, a proud person, God does not know. He doesn't know that individual. It's far away. And we're reminded in Psalm 8-4, one of my favorite passages, what is humankind, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. And it, before that, in verse 3, it talks about how God places the moons and the stars in his place. And Lord, who am I? Putting things in perspective. There's like the video of like, it starts from like some little town and then it like zooms out and how big the galaxy and the universe is. Who am I that God you hear me when I call? James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. A proud individual will, will forever reject the gospel. They will forever reject the gospel for they want to live the life that they want to live. But only the humble and the broken find salvation of their soul. A proud individual will always forever reject the gospel. So today, I know today is just another day, you know, October 6th, and we got the barbecue later, 
you know, we may take this day for granted. The fact that you were alive today, you took a breath and you're alive. And today is just any other day. But please, I beg you that tomorrow is not promised to any one of you, any one of us. I beg you today to do not be like the fools found in verse 6 and 7. Who are these individuals? Going all the way up to verse 12. Let's take a look. Now some teachers of the law. These are teachers of the law. They know the law. They know the Bible. They were sitting there and thinking to themselves, verse 7, why does this fellow, meaning Jesus, talk like this? Why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because they don't know who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he is God. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit, because he is God, in his spirit, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. Just always remember that God knows what your thoughts are. It's very clear. The Bible says he knows what you're thinking. He knows even before a word comes out of your mouth in Psalm 139, it says he already knows. The devil does not. He cannot know what you're thinking. For the, the devil is limited. He is a copycat. Jesus, he sees what they were thinking in their spirit. He knew in his spirit. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, and whenever Jesus asks a question, that's for us to reflect. He says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus, he's, he's here trying to prove a point. He's trying to show these stiff-necked individuals, these people, that if I can heal a paralyzed man, which is impossible to do, can anyone just heal a paralyzed man? No, they, they cannot. It is an impossible task. But Jesus, then I also have the authority to what? Forgive sins. I have the authority, the full authority to forgive sins. Jesus is saying, which do you think is, is harder, easier or harder for me? None. Both are easy. None are hard and both are easy. I can do all things because I am a son of God. I am the son of God and I have authority on earth. That's why in John 10, 18, it says, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. That's what happened on the cross. This command I received from my Father. Jesus is saying, I can do both. I can do all things. I can do all. Nothing is impossible for me. If you're sitting here, you think that it is impossible for you, that you're letting the devil fool you. You're fooling yourself. This promise holds for every single one of us who are here today. Nothing is impossible with Jesus Christ. I'm closing with this. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I've been saying in this message, that all of life comes down to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important 
than this. I just want to remind you again. You may know, but you just need a reminder. Today, we have a lot of things that we want, a lot of dreams that you and I, we want to pursue. Some of you are struggling with relationships, things that we are struggling with in our life right now. But you need to get one thing straight. And this is a, a reality check for you and for me that the most important thing is the salvation of your soul, your life, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a testimony and a story that I heard when I was young of a pastor sharing a story. It starts with, Lord, what amazing and different plan do you have for my life that I am not able to understand or see right now? I'll say it again. Lord, what amazing different plan that do you have for my life that I am not able to understand or see right now? It's a story that I heard about a man, a young man. He's a 1.5 generation immigrant from Korea. And his goal was, and his dream in life was to become an Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics. In high school, he won all types of medals, all different medals. He got scholarships from the best universities in America. And his dream was to go to the Olympics. And he would tell his parents, I will make you proud of me, mom and dad, for all the hard work you're doing as an immigrant. I'm going to get a gold medal. And their answer was, no, become a doctor. Do you know that, guys, right now, I know it's just a few, but this is a message for you, and this is speaking right into your heart. Do you know that a tragedy in life, maybe you know a person, maybe you have a brother or a sister or a friend, a, a friend, a child or friend that you knew, who their life has been taken away, and they're no longer here. Do you know that in one second you're fine, and in the next second you are in the slums? That an accident or a sickness and disease can happen in an instant, and your life is not guaranteed for tomorrow. There's a YouTuber that my wife showed me. Someone was showing me a video, and I was so touched. I share. I don't know if you guys remember on Wednesday Bible study, we were at Burger King. We we're sharing the story, and it's a story about her testimony about her amputee life. It's a testimony of her testimony before God, and it says in the video, it says on June 25th, 2014, she graduated high school. Right, she graduated high school. Five days later, June 30th in 2014, at 9.50 a.m., she shows a picture of her phone, of a selfie after she killed a workout. She graduated a year earlier, and she was very uh, you know, zealous for life. She was passionate about life. She was smart. She was in shape, and she, wanted, she knew what she wanted to do. She had a dream. She had a dream for herself. And then later in the next picture, she shows a picture at 3.40 p.m. That same day on June 30th, 2014, she is in a hospital with her hand, left hand, ripped off, ripped off. And as she's sharing this video, she's an amputee. Her hand is gone. She's saying that at the end of the day, that you may wake up today and you think, oh, amazing, another day, another same day. But you have to understand that anything could happen in an instant, even when we're at the highest of highs of our dreams. Dave, we talked about that documentary with Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen. The Dawn Wall. Watch it, guys. And he, lost, he loses his index finger. And he relearns how to climb without, without his finger, without a limb. 
And we understand that he's able. And, and in this documentary, he conquers the greatest thing. He does it. He does it because he has passion. And we understand that at any moment, that life can change in an instant. So going back to the main story and his testimony, he said this. He said, it felt so strange, like I was floating in air. And then I realized something bad has, ha- has happened to me, had happened. The father came to the hospital, and instead of asking, son, are you okay? He said, I told you not to pursue this dream. This individual, he broke down and he cried. And to make a long story short, he went to church, but he, his relationship with Jesus was, not, was, was just superficial. He just went to church. He did not have a relationship with Jesus. And for the first time in his life, in his testimony, he says, he realized his true purpose. To know God's unconditional love. And he said, I found my purpose to know God's love for me, the unconditional love, more than the medals, more than the silver medals, the gold medals, more than success, more than fame, even family itself. God's unconditional love is what I was longing for for all my life. And during rehab, he met doctors and medical students. And the, the desire to become a doctor, physician, it started to grow in his heart, in his heart, and he, and he had a dream, and he wanted to pursue it. He had a relationship with Jesus, and he wanted to pursue. And he said he studied really, really hard, almost impossible. Went to the best medical school, entered at the best place, and he became a doctor. So when the patients come to him, angry at life, they say, what do you know about my pain? And when they see the doctor on a wheelchair, they're like, they're shocked. They're like, whoa. They say, you're my doctor? And within minutes, they say to themselves, I have hope. God is using this doctor right now to bring hope to many. Just like the story of Joseph, the story that we talked about last week. You may not see it now, guys. You may have, some, you may have had some detours in your life, but you will. When you're in God, He will never forget you. He cannot forget you. The promises that He has for you, it cannot be changed. It is consistent. And this man, he is touching many more lives than he could have done with a gold medal. Even though we live in a broken world, and we will lose many things, and many things you will lose. All you will lose. Gentlemen, ladies, you will lose. But you have to understand that at the end, in the grand scheme of everything, you have already won. We have already won. How? The question is how? And the answer is in Jesus Christ. That's how. Troubles are many, but misery is our choice. Some of you are going through right now, and if not, and you will, and it's not if, it is when, and you will. You will go through troubles, and you will go through hardships. Ask God why, why, why? What you should be asking is God, what is it? What is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it that you're trying to reveal to me? And the answer is in God that there is always a greater purpose. Even if you have detours in your life, that there's a greater purpose. The greatest triumph that you can have is to trust your life in the hands, is to entrust your life in the hands of God. All your dreams, it can be destroyed in an instant, even when you're at the highest of highs. 
You could pursue your dream. You could get it. You could get the next dream job. You could get it. But at the end of the day, it is never enough. Jesus is always enough. That is the key. We talked about the power of lust. How do you overcome lust? You understand that the joy in Jesus Christ is greater than the temporary fulfillment, enjoyment that you receive. Jesus is enough. Psalm 51 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. If you are broken today, God will not reject you. God will not turn his ears and his heart away from you. He hears you. He listens to you. Jeremiah 29, again, the context here is they're in exile. The land, the people are in exile. They're in a foreign land. They're in a situation, in a very difficult situation. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We understand that in God, that He never gives us, He never places, He is never in fear, is never in guilt, never in shame, but He pushes you with courage and with confidence in Him, with love and with gentleness. Some of you today, you have fallen deep in your sin and you have become lost this year. But again, it's a reminder to you and me, to you and I, that it is never too late. In the movie Vanilla Sky says that each passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. Each passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. It is never too late. Men of God, women of God, it is never too late. Be the Joshua's. Be the Caleb's. Be the Rahab's. Don't be like the rest doing what everyone else is doing. Just because social media, everything, everybody is doing what they want to do. Follow the narrow gate. Enter the narrow gate. For only a few will truly find it. And if you have found it already, if you have found it already and you're sitting here and you have found it and you have it, protect it, honor it, treasure it, protect the relationship, honor your relationship with Jesus Christ. So today I'm going to be doing something different. We're going to do an invitation, invitation to give our life to Give our life to Jesus Christ. So the question is, how do we give our life to Jesus Christ? How do we become saved? Let me give you scriptures to help support and to help us today in turning back to God and accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Wow, that's it? Believe? Yes, believe in the Lord. Jesus and you will be saved why because we are sinful individuals we are we have so much sin we are tainted with sin that Romans 3 23 that says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Romans 6 Anyone whose name, Revelation 20 says, anyone whose name was not found, written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. That's what Jesus says in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 3, 16, that we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
Romans 10. 9 through 10, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So how do you do it? Know that you are a sinner. Know that there's a debt that you cannot pay on your own. Know that you are in need of a savior. Enter the throne of God with humility and ask him to save you. Believe, believe, simple. Nothing more, nothing less. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's how you receive salvation. Trust in Jesus Christ. Receive his forgiveness. Receive him. Ask him to come into your life right now and to give you a hope and a future to be with you right now in your present. When you're ready, if you place your right hand to the left side of your chest, your heart representing your life, say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. You're my all in all. Save me, Lord. Save me from this life. Father, I am weak. I am broken. And I need you right now. I need you today more than yesterday. All of my life, it's come down to one thing that's know you and to be known by you and to have a relationship with you it's not just about a physical healing or a miracle for all that it comes and goes but what is everlasting what is eternal is a relationship is the forgiveness of my sins is a new is the salvation of my soul father I need you save me Rescue me. Speak to me, Lord. Touch me. That I will never be the same. Lord, forgive me of my sins. For all the death and the sins that I've committed. Our sin of omission, commission. Everything, God, that we have committed before you, O oh Lord. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for forgetting the cost. The cost of your life. The pain and the suffering, the trial that you went through on the cross. But you died and you rose again. You did not remain on the crucifix. You're not a God who is dead, but you are a God who's alive, and who is alive and is living. You are a God who's alive and who's here with me today. So God, I cry out to you. I need you right now. Come and speak to me. Restore to me to a right relationship. Like the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, the wasteful child, who have wasted all your blessings. Father, I'm taking this moment right now to turn back to you, to run back to you. This is not about the lights or the show or anything else. It's between you and me, God. That's it. It's not about my friend who's sitting next to me, but it's about you and me. It's you and I, Lord. Help me to be right before you, right now, to put everything in perspective. That all of life comes down to just one thing. That's to know you and to be known by you and to have a relationship with you. Let us pray together. Father, we just pray right now, God, that this truth 
today. Your relationship with God is between you and God, and that's it. At the end, when we face our final day, it's between you and God. Your mom or your friend cannot stand there with you. But in this lifetime, but in this lifetime, we are called to run this race together, not alone in isolated places. You are not meant to be isolated. You are not meant to be on on an island of your own. To walk this race together, to get to the finish race together. It's not about getting there first, it's not about getting there last. It's about getting there together. It's about helping one another, it's about pushing one another, challenging one another to be godly, to lead a life of holiness, to be sanctified in Christ together. So, right now, as you're praying, if you need to pray, pray by yourself. Stop praying. If you need to pray, keep praying. But just like the story that we read, just like the story that found in verse 3 to 4, just like he needed the help of the friends, it says in, it says in verse 3 to 4, the some man came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man the man was lying on so a lot of times there are times where we cannot overcome in our strength you need the help of your fellow neighbor just like the man who got mugged who was out on the road he needed the help of the Samaritan he needed we, there are times where we need help there are times we need to help we need to help one another so right now Josh if you're ready so let's just go ahead and pray for your friends, the ladies. Let's pray for one another. But again, if you need to pray, pray. Pray before God. But let's take a step of faith like these friends, these four friends who took the paralyzed man. By, by the number the num- number of fourths, they took him to Jesus because the crowd was too big. They made an opening and they, they dug the roof and lowered the mat. Let's do that for our neighbor right now, for our friend, our brother and sister. Let's pray for one another. Praise Him as you're also praying up there. Pray for one another. Pray for the congregation. Let's take a moment right now to pray for each other. Let's pray together. Let's keep praying. Let's keep praying.
Lord, send revival. Send revival into our hearts. Start with me, Lord. Start with this church, this small, humble church, Father. Help us to look to you, God, not to get lost with everything else, with all the distractions. For God, I am one of the unclean lips, Lord. For I understand just who I am before you and who I really am. Father, I understand that I fall short of the glory of God. God, that I've been saved by grace. God, it's because of you, God, I am here today. So God, I give you my everything, my all, my all to you, God. Knowing that God, without you, God, I would have nothing. That I am nothing. That your love and your relationship, the salvation of my soul, having salvation in you is the most and the most precious thing that we could ever find in this this earth and this planet that we could search this whole world looking for something but it will never be enough help us come to a place every day each and every day and to say to ourselves say to our soul every day say to ourselves in the mirror every day when we're filled with insecurities when we're filled with doubt and fear every day when we look at ourselves in the morning in the every day when we can't even look at ourselves in the mirror help us always say Jesus is enough that you are more than enough, that you are my everything, that because you're my everything, I have everything that I need, nothing more, nothing less, everything else is an extra blessing, everything else is a trial and a testing, for God, you are sanctifying me and renewing me every day to be more and more like you, so God, we look to you, start your revival, start with me, for I am one of unclean lips. But we have hope, for we have seen the King, your glory. We have just tasted a little bit, a glimpse. We'll start your revival. Start with this church. Start with us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your love. We love you. We honor you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen.